Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Wednesday services. We are currently studying through the book of Exodus. Please open your Bibles to Exodus as we dive into our study this evening. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for gathering us together as your people. Not, Lord, to just sit and hear stories, to have words go in one ear and out the other, but, Lord, to understand your voice speaking to our hearts, to call us closer unto you, that we might all the more be transformed into your image as we leave this place, regardless of what the world does around us, the circumstance would seek to affect us with, or, Lord, even our flesh would battle when it comes to the truth. We want to be those that surrender fully to your spirit now speaking to us and revealing to us those things, even amongst the Old Testament saints, Lord, that would seek to benefit, to bless, to in fact transform us today more into your children. And so we ask that you would do that by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 19. We approach the law. Well, the, at least the children of Israel do, not for us. But um, Moses, you know, he's been reunited with his wife, his sons, his uh, father-in-law Jethro in the last chapter came up to him and realized that, you know, Jethro is a trusted counsel. The guy had taught Moses how to be a sheep herder, which he'd just done for 40 years. So th- this guy could be trusted, you know, and he came to Moses with some advice, and that was to delegate. He needed to delegate this responsibility. Remember, there is estimated that maybe 3 million Israelites now that have come out of Egypt, that he's leading and he's having to counsel, right? And so um, he might know God's statutes, and the people need to know God's statutes, but the two of them just working together, him individually, it, you know, Jethro comes and says, look, you're tiring yourself and you're tiring the people that are waiting all day to talk to you and not getting, you know, to take a number. It's like, forget it, right? So um, anyway, Jethro gives him this advice. And, I, and I, the reason I'm just touching on this a little bit before we move on is because this has been brought up lately um, in, in ministry around me, even at the young, you know, at the men's study, we have at uh, coffee traders uh, on Wednesday mornings and stuff. And that is the idea that Jethro comes and he's got this advice to give a spiritual leader or to give Moses, you know, who's, you know, just a man trying to do what he is. But, um, the idea that, how do you know it's God's, it's God's advice? I mean, it's coming from your father-in-law too, you know, and, oh, Dana, perk up. And, um... How do we know these things? Well, one is because he specifically points, you know, Moses to the Lord. Back in in verse 19, he had said, listen now to my voice, I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you will, you know, bring the difficulties to God. So, you know, he's he's saying like, you're going to come and take this before God when you stand. So this is one way that you know. And also the fact that he then tells God to go ahead and, or tells Moses to go ahead and seek God. And so you know that you're getting good counsel when the person is telling you, look, Seek after God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is added on to you, right? That's what people should be saying and, and, you know, giving us in our lives. But then in verse 23 of 19, he actually says, uh, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all of this with the people will also go in their place in peace. So telling him, look, I'm telling you what I'm telling you. You want to confirm that it's the Lord? 
check it out with God. Do you have a peace that comes with, a, with this understanding? Is the word confirming it to you? Um, you know, just recently listened to a study about thus saith the Lord, you know, and it was talking about David wanting to build a temple and, you know, Nathan's going, sounds good, David, do it. And, and, and the pastor pointed out that was Nathan, that was man. Well, how do you know? Well, because Nathan went to bed that night and God woke him up and said, that wasn't me, this is me. And so then Nathan went back to David and he goes, David, you know what I told you before? Forget it. That wasn't God, that was me. Here's what God says. And, and so always getting that confirmation from God. Remember, as a born-again believer, Spirit of God living now in you, the Bible becoming alive to you like it never was before, you have God's spirit of discernment within you. And so people coming to you and thus saith the Lording should only then confirm what God has already been saying to you. And, and, I, and I see that playing out. And I just point that out because, um, you know, people are like, well, how do you know? Any? Well, you know because of the word of God. It is our plumb line. This is what we walk by, what we walk in, what we seek to watch others walk in, which we seek to have others walk with us in. You know, it's, a, it's all about the word. And if we're not following the word, we can get so easily swayed by our emotions, our feelings, our families, our culture. All those things are dangerous. And so watch that because, you know, we're, we're getting into, um, we're, like I said, we're getting into the law. We're getting close to the law. And the law is... You know, basically the, the, the fifth dispensation of God. And a dispensation is just a time frame of God. And um, there's seven of them that they kind of pull out in the scriptures. Uh, one is, the, the first one is the innocent time. You imagine how short that dispensation was. And that's when Adam and Eve didn't know no, didn't know no sin, right? And it was the in, then there was the consciousness dispensation, which was from Adam sinning and then to Noah, and then when God cleansed, kind of, right? And then there was Noah to Abraham, which became the government when God established what it was going to look like then to have government over his people. And then there was the patriarchal rule, which was Abraham to Moses. And I've always told my kids that one never really went away. And then, but it did, because then there becomes now the mosaic. And the mosaic law is, of course, God handing down the Ten Commandments. And this will now last until we move to grace, which is where we are now, the age of the church, when Christ has come. There's only one more left, and that's the millennial reign of Christ, when he literally is on the earth, on his throne, visibly in front of us, ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And that's that last dispensation before then. God wraps it all up, and sin goes away forever. So beautiful time, but Anyway, we're seeing that kind of um, take place. And so I just wanted to point that out that we're moving into this next dispensation now with the beginning of chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped camped there before the mountain. So, you know, just to point out some obviousnesses, it's been three months now since they've left Egypt. This was all it was really supposed to take. You know, I mean, it was a really short journey to get from there into the promised land. If you think about what God had for them and where he was taking them, this doesn't include 40 years of wandering. You know, this is before the rebellion and the sin thing that is going to happen, right? But just to point out that it is God's timing of moving Remember, there's always a spiritual picture of the Old Testament showing us that the New Testament has fulfilled, moving us out of the world and taking us on this journey of what he's trying to get his people to do, which, of course, is to trust him, to look 
to him, to follow him, right? And now he's going to, you know, bring him to this place where he's really going to um, give them the law and, and have them really understand what their sin looks like. Now, Numbers um, chapter 10 actually shares with us that they were a whole, like, 11 months in this place. So about a year. See, and we t- sometimes we read and we just think things are moving really fast. But God is not rushed. He is really wanting his people to get this, who you are and who I am and God speaking and, and how I want to transform you. So they've been there for a while. And Sinai, is, it's a big peninsula. You know, it's right there with Mount Horeb and all the other mountains. But the mount actually of Sinai, where Moses is going to go, actually looks like a big pulpit, if you've ever seen a picture of it, uh, which is kind of appropriate since God's going to come down and speak from it to his people. So just kind of interesting how these pictures just, you know, God sets up and everything. In fact, Sinai actually means thorns and thorny. You know, you think of like, oh, ooh, ah. And, and of course, that's exactly what the law is to us. It's can't say it's really a thorn, but it is a driver to Christ. It says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would come after being revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, or some translations say drive us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, there's no longer a need to, there's no, there's no longer, we're no longer under a tutor, for we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're family. Now it's about fellowship and, and maintaining that fellowship with God. No longer is it uh, blessing or curse. Now it is blessing or chastisement for us as believers. You know, this is what God is, is, is absolutely all about. And Paul brings this home when he says in Romans chapter 7, what shall we say then, that the law is sin because it's a thorn? Because wasn't weren't thorns part of the curse and stuff? It's certainly not. Indeed, I would have not known what sin was except for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So Paul there saying that he didn't know no different. But when the law says this is wrong, God's word, he's supposed to then bring his life into alignment with it, the plumb line. This I know then is wrong. And we see that now in the church a lot where feelings, emotions, especially experiential things are taking precedence over the word of God. Instead of following the word and this being a plumb line, now men and women are experiencing and seeking to experience so much about God that they put his word to the side and it's all about now just this emotion that I can get stirred up in. And that's not how he'd have it to be. He would have it to be absolutely in line with what he's going to be giving, which are these Ten Commandments that are for all mankind for all time, like they never go away. Jesus completed them for us, fulfilled them, and gives us now the power to walk absolute in them, but they don't go away. It's something that's always here. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob 
and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God doing what he does so much of the time is he's telling the people, he's reminding the children of Israel. And funny, he calls them the children of Jacob. He doesn't go back to like Abraham or Isaac, kind of the chosen ones. He goes back to the troublemaker, you know, like Jacob, the problem. So he's, he's kind of already giving them a hint. You need something here. To get, to get a little straight. I'm going to give it to you. It's called the law. But he, he takes them back to this, this idea of being Jacob's kids. And he reminds them of all that he's done for them already. And God will do this as you come to him. He will, he will speak to you of the grace and the mercy and the place of covering that he has for us in Christ and the place of purity he has for us in Christ if we will come to him. And, you know, he's saying, like, I, I've proved myself to you. Look what I did to the Egyptians, right? He, look what, he calls them his special treasure people. His, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. These are things, of course, we hear in the New Testament, right? But this is same God back then as he is today, but now different covenant that we get to walk in the fullness because of Christ, you know? He says that he bears them up on, uh, he, he bore them up on, on eagle's wings, you know? That's such a beautiful picture of what God does. God, God isn't the kind of bird that grabs his chicks with his talons and throws them out of the nests. You know, it's like this kind of a thing. That's not our God right? Pushes us out of the nest and then comes underneath us. And that's how an eagle tra- you know, teaches the, the babes how to fly is an eagle specifically comes underneath and keeps lifting the babes up until they finally get the, the idea and then they start flying, right? So it's this really beautiful picture of how God is seeking to have us soar. You know, it, at one time so much being our protector and our fighter, absolutely, but now wanting through us to protect and to fight and to be his soldiers, you know, it's like he's training us up and, and pushing us this way to fly, you know, forward. And, and again, gives us these, these guidelines kind of for the Mosaic Covenant. If you do this, then I will do this. So this is kind of God divinely dealing with sin. Notice that he doesn't nullify it somehow. Doesn't, doesn't say like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe it out at this point. It's if you do this, then I will do this. It is that understanding that we have a participation. You know, that there is something that has to work together here. Well, even in the age of grace that we're now in, there is a participation, right? There is an abiding that has to happen. There is a, a coming to and a confession that should be made. You know, it's, it's not a taking for granted that God just does this by osmosis, but it is in that relationship, in that fellowship that we have, Right? That's what we have to be aware of. Here's the verse from 1 Peter, chapter 2, that relates those same promises now to us. He says, therefore, to you who believe, so he's talking to his children, right? He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word, 
to which they also were appointed. But you now, he's talking back to believers, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, a, into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's us now who believe. Now we're the special people. Now we're the, well, the special treasure or the, the kingdom of, of priests and, and, uh, and a holy nation that he's calling us to be. See, that's what he had created Israel to be and had given them this opportunity to take it out into the world and show the world who he was. But instead of going out and sharing the goodness of God, they got it exclusive. He's ours. You can't have him. He gave us the law. You can't know it. You can't be one of us. And they were supposed to go out and reveal the goodness of who God was, and they didn't. Well, now in Christ, we have that same charge. We are now this royal priesthood and this holy nation and this special people that are supposed to take out the gospel message and speak it, using words when necessary, right? But our life is supposed to be proclaiming him all the time. And by the Holy Spirit, we have that power now within us through the fellowship, through the oneness that we have, right? So it, it, it's not so much uh, if you do this, then I do this, but there still is that choice of receive it, you know, or reject it. You know, it's like faith, follow, or fail, that kind of thing. And so we, we have that ability still that we have to participate in this. And Israel, they, they didn't get it. So not a good example to follow, Right? But in every way, Christ exampled who we are and how, and how we are supposed to reach out and how we're supposed to go. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord commanded them. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. It's just interesting how God wants this oral response. It's not just, well, you know my heart. You can hear me. He literally wants a proclaimed word that says, this is, yes, this is good. We will follow. I am sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Just heard a pastor recently saying three words, two statements of three words that should always be on every Christian's mouth. I love you and I am sorry. Two things that we should always be known for repeating or being able to say sincerely. I love you and I am sorry. Right? And, and so God calls us to that same thing. When he calls us in, in John to confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In fact, we have the privilege tonight of being able to celebrate communion and once again come to that place of cleansing, that restoration of a fellowship that it's all about, right? So Moses here is acting as the, he's acting in a priestly role right now, an intercessor. He's going to the people and saying, okay, God, this is what he's saying. And then he's going back to God and saying, okay, God, this is what the people are saying. He is connecting back and forth. Now, there is only one intercessor, one mediator between God and man, the, the Lord, the man, Christ Jesus, right? 
But God also now with Christ in us gives us that privilege of intercessory prayer. That's why always I'm reminding you we have a prayer box in the back. And if you would put your prayer requests in it, they will be lifted up in prayer. We specifically have prayer warriors that go to task interceding. But also, I just want to remind you that then you have the privilege and the power within you to intercede on an ongoing basis. You ever been someplace like it's a secular place? Like this happens to me at school all the time, like when I'm back in Chicago teaching. And something's going down, and I just feel like I need to ask this person if I can pray for them. But they're not believers. Like they're not, they don't, in fact, they're pagans. Like this is heathen. But I feel like I'm supposed to pray, you know? Take those opportunities because somehow, some way, God has planted seeds, um, began to speak to, minister to, lead or draw out somebody's heart. And you might be part of that process at bringing forth a prayer, which has happened to me before, where you pray the prayer and God answers. And then the people are like, wow. Now, it can also get creepy because they're like, whoa, you're so special. You have to, you know, and there's people like that that then you need to pray for this for me because you're, you know, you can pray yourself. You need to pray in Christ. And this is, no, 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 it's you. You got the juice kind of thing. And you're, you have to, you know, you have to walk them back on that. But God wants us to be these intercessors that believe who he is for us to then demonstrate who he can be for others. So please keep that in mind because I just see Moses playing that part openly and in fact, really speaking to the people, you know, absolute about what God is. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon the mount upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set up boundaries or bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So God just starting to set the stage here. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Now, interesting that, you know, these like specific three charges. And I was looking at this and I was thinking, you know, in a way we again have that same charge to us or we want to see what God is charging them with because somehow he's bringing it spiritually forward, right? So the first thing is that he says, you know, clean up, wash your clothes. Now, this is not talking about legalism. This is not talking about putting on your Sunday best. And believe me, there are some churches, especially in Chicago, where they have that still mentality. You know, the ladies still got the hats on out to here and, you know, they dress to the nines to go to church because it becomes a fashion show of competition, You know, that's not what God's talking about here when he's talking about cleaning up. He is, though, talking about preparation. And I think that's always something that's important for us to realize is the preparation in coming to God. Like, you know, it's out of more of a reverence or a respect. Like, where are you at with Dad? You know, again, it's an individual question everybody has has to ask. But um, remember, now think as a believer. It's not cleaning yourself up that you can come to God, but it is preparing yourself because you know you are coming. 
right? So this is not about don't approach me unless you're cleaned up because he's the only one that can clean. It's like when, he, like when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, right? And Peter's like, hey, no way you're going to wash my feet, right? And what did Jesus say? If I can't wash you, then you have no part with me, right? But then, Jesus, then Peter was like, oh, well then, bring on the bath, right? But, but Jesus was, was really clear then. He said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. He is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. See, Jesus made it clear that it wasn't about getting saved again, getting cleansed of sin again, getting, you know, getting regenerated again. It was now about keeping yourself unspotted, undirty from what the world has dirtied you up with. And we all got dirt. We all got dirt on us, you know, from this world, all of us today. The things that have influenced us, that have come, uh, you know, across our radar, across our vision, in our hearing, um, memories that maybe we dwelt on instead of dealing with and rejecting out. You know, we all have to watch these things, right? And how do we do that? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us by the washing of the water of the word that it cleanses us. It cleanses us. You know, again, we started First John this morning in... Um, at our men's, you know, Bible study. And this just really became um, big to me. So I thought, oh, it really ties in tonight in what it's saying, right? First John, verse 1, chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard and declare to you, that also may, that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is how to fill it up with joy right, is to what? To have fellowship with God. And John says, we saw this, we handled it, we walked with him, we talked with him, and it was all about the fullness of God wanting to reveal to us his joy, eternal life joy. So the circumstances, the situations that come at us, the struggles that we still deal with in our flesh, he's saying, get close to me, fellowship with me, and your joy will be full. Because he goes on to say, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See the important about that, that importance about saying that I am sorry, coming to God, confessing. And remember, confession isn't telling God you did it. He knows he was there. Confession is agreeing with God that what you did was wrong. How do we know it was wrong? Because the word of life has manifested to us. The law has told us. 
Now, I say law, and I mean the whole precept of God's word. I don't just mean, you know, you broke one of the Ten Commandments, so you don't kill anybody. I'm talking about the whole precepts of his law and what we can so easily turn ourselves off to or neglect when he would say, no, this is about having fellowship with me. This is oneness with me. And so, you know, I just challenged the guys this morning, like, do you prepare before you come to men's study to receive, like to be ready, to be on with God, like connected? Or is it, well, I'm going to study, so that's where I'm going to connect. Do you come to church because you're going to expect to connect? Or do you connect before you come to church knowing that you're coming to be part of the body to see how God would use you by that fellowship that you've maintained? Really important that we have this time of cleansing, washing, washing ourselves because we get dirty, right? Now, he also talks about, you know, watching our steps, you know, don't touch the mountain. Boundaries. Just certain stuff that you know, I know, we need to stay away from. Now, I have to stay away from different things that you need to stay away from. You know, walked into Coffee Traders this morning. I'm going to men's Bible study. What do I hear? Oh, my gosh, it's a song from the 70s. I don't want to go to the 70s. I was there, and it wasn't pretty. Right? And, and so I, I don't like that. Now, you know, Tyler's over there just digging on the beats, you know, and I'm like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it from me. Now, for him, it's nothing, right? But I'm sure there's things that I walk right past don't even phase me that Tyler has to, you know, darn his eyes from and make a covenant about. You know, I don't know. Nothing, I'm not picking on you, Tyler. I'm just saying. But we all have those different things, right? And so he talks about setting up those boundaries, right? Because it is about obedience to God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, Keep my commandments, right? In, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't care what you can give me. I don't care how much you can restrain yourself or, or, or think that you're doing for me as much as just doing what my word has created in you to walk in. That's what I want, right? I, I recently um, read... Uh, a placket, a church that had a pastor, the placket that they have at the church. And you know, some churches have like these, like, oh, look, Pastor Steve is our slogan tonight. But um, some churches have like slogans, you know, they're on the walls and stuff. And theirs is, obedience is the highest form of worship. Well, according to John fourteen fifteen and what Jesus said, I guess that would be true, right? So what it really is to bring my life in accordance with this word, I should have those borders, those boundaries set up. And that's all God is saying here. It's like, watch it. I mean, it's not like the, the mountain's evil or anything. He just wants, of course, to protect the people. He wants to protect the people from his holiness. Like he didn't say, touch the mountain and I will kill you. He's touched the mountain and you will die. Like you can't come near my holiness. And God knows our curiosity. You know, Eve had it. You know, if, if I taste it, I'll be like God. Oh, I like that. You know, I just want to go see what he looks like. I just want to, you know, check it out. Check out that holiness. And he's like, no, don't do it. Set up those boundaries. Don't go where God tells you not to go. Don't mingle. Don't mess up, you know. And then the other one, of course, the, the third revelation there is he says uh, not to come near your wives. Now, everybody's shutting down that single in here and going, well, I got that one easy. No, that's, again, we're not talking about celibacy, although some would probably twist the scripture to somehow say that 
you're supposed to be celibate to really be spiritual or something. And we know that that did, for the Gnostics, that actually was a part of their false teaching and that, you know, that Paul had to deal with that, you know, how men and women that are married owe each other that, so don't, don't do it, right? But what that really is saying, and it's, you know, stay away from your wife, is really restrain yourself from the flesh that would interfere with the spiritual, like right now, as you're coming to me, as you're preparing for me, as you're setting up boundary lines to not get distracted or influenced by anything but me, also consider that it is me right now I want you to focus on. He's a jealous God and he wants us, right? So think of it almost like a fasting principle where you limit yourself or remove yourself from food to invest in and seek after the spiritual. I'm not going to eat lunch today. I'm going to take that half an hour. I'm going to take that hour, and I'm going to sit with the Word of God. I'm just going to listen to Him. I'm going to talk to Him. I'm going to listen to Him. I'm going to let Him lift me as an eagle on its wings. You know, because I need that right now, right? And so that's, that's kind of how I broke that down is that's how that would relate to me. That you would... It, and it is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 when he was talking about husbands and wives, you know, not giving themselves physically to each other for a time, but it was for fasting and prayer to seek the Lord, but then, and then of course, to come back together, that the enemy not find a way to get in. But it is a way of investing in a spiritual, and that's, I think, what God is saying here, is he's wanting his people to prepare, because he's going to speak from his pulpit, and they've never experienced this before. You know, it's, it's, it's literally, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rock their world. As he goes on, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud. I wish I had my my sick voice, you know, because I can do that really throaty thing when when I've got my sinus thing. It's like totally the voice of God. And uh, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the the sound of of the trumpet was loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely, was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can you even imagine what this looks like? I mean, I I don't know if they could even make a movie that would somehow communicate the excitement, the horror, the reality of this going on, literally hearing the voice of God, you know, speak as you're watching this thunderous thing, right? But, so as we read through that, and and it would make a really cool film, you know, to make, I do want to just look at two different spiritual types, picture types that this is showing us. And, you know, track with me if you can on this. Because remember, everything Old Testament is a picture of New Testament, what we have now, like what we've experienced, right? So I, I just thought this was kind of interesting, that we've got, you know, the people are delivered out of Egypt. Egypt's the type of the world, remember? That's us. Now we've been pulled out of this, out of the world from Darkness to light. He's just told us that, right, in Peter. He took him to the Red Sea, took him then through the Red Sea. Red Sea, we're told in the New Testament, is a type of baptism. They were baptized by going through the Red Sea, right? He brings them down manna to eat as they're walking through the wilderness. Manna is what? Bread from heaven, 
the bread of life, Jesus. He introduces them to Jesus. And, you know, again, spiritual type picture, right? He brings forth water out of the rock by striking it. That was showing, as the New Testament describes to us, the striking of Jesus, the cross of Christ, sacrificed for us. That would then eventually bring, by faith, the living water to come out of us, as, he was, as Moses was supposed to do the second time, which was just to speak to the rock. Right, But that was all that picture of what it was showing. So the Holy Spirit then, right? God sets up his leadership over the people. Basically, that's church, government, and stuff. Now, you know, Moses, you got to get your tens, your fifties, your hundreds, your thousands. they got to have leaders over them. It's too many people. You can't deal with them all. So we're going to get some, some, some church established here, and he's just done that. So what comes next now is we're sitting here as the church, and we're waiting. The rapture. Right? The, the, the rapture of the church, the trumpet sound of the Lord, the Lord coming down and getting his people. We just went through this in First Thessalonians. It's wrapped it up two weeks ago. Let me remind you. Now, keep in mind what we just read Old Testament and what these people are experiencing. This trumpet that gets longer and louder, and the people are trembling because of this experience. First Thessalonians 4.13 But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be no will. By no means proceed those who are asleep. Meaning those that have died, Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. They're already there, right? So, because the Thessalonians were afraid that their dead relatives had missed it. Like, oh my gosh, Christ is coming and, you know, Grandma Millie died and she's not going to, you know, and it's like, no, she's already there, you know? Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into the whole doctrinal discussion of, you know, Sheol and all that stuff. But anyway, she, they were going to be, they're going to come first. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, there it is, of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with him always. Now, jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul speaking to the Corinthians and saying, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In, the mo- in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Same, same story, right? Paul writing that continues to say, This is what's happening. God's coming down, he's going to blow a trumpet, and we're going to go up and meet him. And he's exampling this Old Testament picture, New Testament fulfillment. That's what he's trying to get us to understand, right? The first trumpet happening right now, children coming to the mountain, coming to God, God coming down. This is God's bride, or his wife, Jehovah's wife, Israel, coming to him. Jesus comes, blows his trumpet, and his bride goes up to be with him. See, Old Testament, New Testament, that picture is so clear for us. Now, when does this happen? Happens on the third day. Three days. Prepare for this, and then I'm coming. Check it out. Track with me here. Second Peter chapter 3 says this. To the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, you know, history is his story. 
his story, Jesus' story. That's where we get the word from. A.D., B.C., before Christ. Now, if you go to the museum now, it doesn't say B.C. I think it's B.E.C. or something. It's before common era. B.C.E., that's what it says. They've tra- they're trying to wipe out that there was a before Christ because after Christ it was A.D. and it was like after David. That's the son of David, and boom. There we are now, zero to, to, to 1,000. That's day one. 1,000 to 2,000, that's day two. Because remember, when, you, when, when, like when you're a baby and you're born and you celebrate your, hey, I'm one year old, it means you've lived a year. It doesn't mean you're going to now live your first year, right? So zero to one was the one day. And now one to 2,000 was day two. 2,000 moving forward, we're in day three. We're in the third thousand day. When does Christ come back? Or when does the trumpet blow? In the morning. In the beginning. 2019. We're already 19. Whatever that time clock is for God, into the third day. See, any minute now, any time, the trumpet sounds and we're out. So clean up, set some boundaries, and prepare yourself. Focus into the spiritual because it's getting short, people. The time is now. You know, I, I don't know how many years I've said, I can't imagine it's going to get any worse than this. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like just today, you know, it's like it gets worse. And so, but, but this is the picture type that, it, that, that we're seeing here. Now, there's also another picture type, which is to say that Israel, when they came out of Egypt... They came out by the Passover. They celebrate the Passover. And so, you know, the door, the blood on the, the door and the lentil and stuff, the doorposts. And so there was that deliverance that happened, right? Now, the week right after that was the week of unleavened bread. The Jews would celebrate that. And that was the unleavened, unsinned celebration, basically, of the Messiah coming of their, of one, the sinlessness and then also the breaking of that bread and the brokenness that was going to be their Messiah. Now, they didn't see this picture clearly, but God gave them these feasts and festivals to make sure that they were you know, celebrating, right? Now, in the midst of that unleavened bread, one-week celebration, there's also the feast of the first fruits. First fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, of the life eternal. He was the first of many, the scripture tells us. Right? So we already have that clear too. Now, 50 days after that then was the day of Pentecost. And that's what this is also a picture of. Now, the coming of the law is said to be the, like the birth of Israel. That's when Israel was really birthed. Is the, this is, I'm giving this to my people. You are my special people, my holy priesthood. You know, God's saying what you are, and here's my law. Pentecost is the birth of the church. Right? When the Holy Spirit, God came down and birthed the church on that day. And what, what does it say? That fire came down. There were tongues of fire resting on, on the apostles, resting on those that were in prayer in that upper room, praying for God. The earth shook. The, the, the vo- and now, Tradition actually says that when God came down and he spoke, and we're going to see he comes down, he sp- speaks in this loud voice. And the people hear, because God says, I'm going to speak audibly to you, Moses. So the people are going to know that you're my guy. I'm speaking to you, and they're going to hear me talk. And it is said, because of the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with the Israelites, tradition says that when God spoke, everyone heard in their own tongue what he was saying. The day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, 
baptizes the apostles. What happens? Well, baptizes the, the multitude of believers right there, right? They speak in tongues. That then the civilization, the culture right there in Jerusalem, which was packed with visitors because of Passover, all heard glory to God's, you know, what he was doing in their own tongues. That was part of the miracle. And so again, we have that same picture going on here. New Testament that went on in Old Testament. God just preparing, always saying like, here's my picture, here's my fulfillment. Here's my picture, here's my fulfillment. I don't want to over-spiritualize this stuff, but I just think it's really cool when God makes something so obvious. And remember, he'd, get, he'd given this all to his first people, Israel, that they wouldn't miss him. And they did. Why? Because they didn't walk by faith. They just walked in sight and flesh and began to it just internalize it all as theirs. And we are supposed to be just the opposite. We are supposed to walk by faith. We are supposed to express our Lord and be able to share these truths. And I just love how God is, is just so faithful at how he's revealing himself to this. So it says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, verse 17, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was complete, completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke. Oh, I already read that, didn't I? Where are we down to? Down to verse 20? Uh, then the Lord came upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. That's where we left off. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through and gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Like, you know, that's people. I want to see. I want to, I've got to get close to this, man. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come to Mount Sinai, for you have warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And I just love how that comes together. Now, this is the picture of Mount Sinai. God coming down and this almost horrific kind of experience. And, you know, the... the the book of Acts, it talks about when the Holy Spirit birthed the church and Peter got out there, 3,000 people get saved. Well, here comes the law and what's going to happen with the people down at the base of the mountain. 3,000 of them are going to die because immediately they break the law of God. You know, the, the picture and the, the correlation, it, it, it's so warning. But what a blessing it is that Hebrews chapter 12 talks about us coming not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. A mount of invitation, a mount of healing, a mount of hope. Right? And again, that's what we have tonight, the privilege to celebrate as we come to the Lord's table. This is our covenant now, the covenant of grace. By his body that was broken, by his blood that was spilled, we now are the special people, the chosen priesthood, the, the holy people of God. Right, And so as we come tonight, and, and Katie's going to come up and play, if you just take this time... And go before the Lord, let him speak to you, and then speak back in confession if necessary, or maybe let him by his wings lift you up and give you that assurance as 1 John chapter 1 tells us, confession of sins, 
leads to forgiveness and justification. Remember, justification is just as if you never did it. Departs the unrighteousness from you. That fellowship is restored. Not just with him, but also with one another. And if we keep ourselves in that place, man, the blood of Christ continuously cleanses us as we walk in light. So this is light. This is revelation. So let us walk in this tonight and feel our Father lift us up. Amen? Thank you for joining us for this study through the book of Exodus this evening. If you would like more information about Selah Fellowship, please visit us on the web at selahfellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.